how to lose a game to Memphis and thoughts on officiating and, and other things. Quarterback play. There'll be a lot in this podcast. Better than average, episode 12, presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Better than average. You play football. Football? Oh, no. Juggernaut of a podcast. Better than average. Like a radio show that's not on the radio. Coach, it's a great day for you, huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. All right, welcome in. I'm going to go over some stuff from Memphis's win over Mississippi State. Kind of who, what, when, how, why, some of those things. And obviously, what everybody's talking about, the punt play and, you know, officiating that didn't quite cover it. The subsequent apology from the SEC, statement from them, statement from John Cohen. Y'all have seen all that stuff by now. So I'm just going to kind of run down some of my thoughts on it uh, for you. St- statistics don't tell the story, that's for sure, uh, of the ball game. So all of those thoughts and more, I'm recording this on Monday morning. I know I said I would try to get stuff out on Sunday, but it was two things. One, I didn't really feel like I had my thoughts totally collected as of uh, yesterday, Sunday, and you know, spending some time with family, and then I just kind of wanted to be able to watch some football and watch the Saints, watch the Cowboys, and then watch the Chiefs without a whole lot of distractions. And so, you know, call it lazy or putting it off, whatever you want. But felt better about coming in on Monday morning without any distractions and getting this recorded for you. So that's what I'm going to do. Thanks again to Mississippi Land Bank for supporting these podcasts, the Better Than Average podcast and so much of what I do. Uh, just reminding y'all that anything land-related, buying or selling, and certainly if you're a farmer and you're talking about big-time farmland, but but even if you're not, if it's recreational property, if it's a place to build a home, anything land-related, go to Mississippi Land Bank in North Mississippi and check them out at mslandbank.com. There is a lot to get to uh, in this game. And... It's a 31-29 final, and State had so many chances to win the game. It it's, it's pretty crazy. Statistically, like I said, you know this. You've looked at it. By now, you're probably sick of thinking about it, but it's hard to figure out. I mean, if you were to cover up the score of the ball game and show anybody a box score, there's just no way they come away looking at this going, hey, Memphis won. No. You know, so stats, it shows you how important stats are is that they're important up to a point. But this is a deal where State kind of won every category except the one that really matters, and that is on the scoreboard. And so you really have to credit Memphis. It is incredibly hard to win a game when everything goes against you the way it did Memphis outside of a couple of things. You know, if you're State, it's incredibly hard to lose a game when you, frankly, dominate so many aspects of the game. It's hard to lose it, but you can certainly do it when you hand over, you know, really what is um, a minimum of 17 points. You just hand 17 points to the other team. That's how it happens. You know, so like, depending on how you painted the picture, you threw it 67 times, completed 75% for over 400 yards, three touchdowns, did not throw an interception. You go, well, 
How'd you lose that game? <laughs> so that's one way to look at it. The other thing is the defense gave up the defense now, defensively, the defense gave up 14 points. I don't credit they they got a field goal with the defense on the field, but that's after an onside kick. I mean, like how are you gonna blame the defense for allowing a field goal after an onside kick? That got backed up a few yards because of a penalty after the review, right? Like they had even better field position than a normal onside kick. You can't blame the defense for that field goal. That defense allowed two touchdowns in the ballgame, period. And gave up 87 rushing yards. Gave up 246 total yards. Held their opponent to 2 of 12 on third down. Um, So, I mean, like you see the defensive line. How can you have that defensive stat line? Defense allows two touchdowns, holds them to two of 12 on third down, 87 rushing yards, 246 total yards, but there's 31 points on the board. You just, there's so many things in this game you just can't figure out statistically. It shows you that stats, like that old saying, they're like a bikini, they'll show you a lot, but they certainly don't show you everything. State won every major category in this box score except the one that matters, and that's the one on the scoreboard, 31-29 final. So then you get into the details. Y'all know how it happened. Uh, you hand them a touchdown at the beginning of the game, fumble that's picked up and scored. you got to credit Memphis. They turn a turnover into seven points. Special teams blunder, seven points. Now you're at 14 that you give them. And then you try onside kick, get it. Review it. They back you up. Try it again. They get the onside. They're in field position. They kick a field. That's 17 points right there on the board for Memphis that, frankly, were just kind of you laid the game down there, and they took it and ran with it, both figuratively and literally. Um, If you're trying your best, it's hard to sum a game like this up, but if you're trying to sum it up, that's one way to sum it up, I think. Um, Okay, so uh, without – Going any further on the encapsulation of this game, let me say a couple things. Uh, on the punt play, the thing that I think you – okay, before you dive off in the weeds of the review process and the officiating on it, this is what I'll say about the punt play. It is quite obviously a rule. It's very obviously a rule that – you down a punt, you're supposed to pick that football up, hand it to the official. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, and, and I think, you know, to their credit, State's coaching staff admits that after the game. You know, what we're supposed to do is pick that ball up, hand it to the official when we down it. And if that being the rule, if that's being the rule, the rule is the rule. And if you don't do it, that's nobody's fault but your own. Right, So if I'm the coach or if I'm the player going down the field, I would accept that responsibility because i got to know what the rule is. Or I probably know and I just didn't do it, one or the other. Okay, So that's the fact of it to that point is if that's the rule, you got to down that thing by possessing it and handing it to the official, well, that's on us. All right. Another thing about it is I think on our side of it, one thing that gets lost is crediting the player for Memphis for picking up the football and doing what he did. It's gutsy. It's an incredible heads-up play, right? It's just incredible heads-up play on his part. No, we didn't get to the part with the official waving it dead or the fact that he was 
He was one of two guys on the field wearing number four. That's a penalty. You know, all these things. Before you even get to that, though, it's an incredible play on his part to see these guys standing around, to know the ball is live because they haven't handed it to the official, and to squeeze through there and pick it up, and then to return it for a touchdown. So the thing is, that's another thing about the whole rule of to down the thing, you got to possess it, hand it to the official. Well, that's obviously a player on on their punt return unit that knows that rule as well, right? Because he he didn't think the play was dead. He sees a ball on the ground, he goes and gets it. He must have known, if it's laying there, I can go get the football. And it's true, until there's an official standing over it blowing that whistle. So that's the thing. And then now that gets you to the part of, okay, the official waved his arms, but he didn't blow the whistle. You can really see that clearly on the TV. They did it. It's not a matter of if. It's in the statement from the SEC. And I'm not going to go and go uh, down every word of this uh, statement from the SEC. It's one of those deals where, um, based on what I know, if you hadn't gotten pressure from Mississippi State, you never would have gotten a statement from the SEC. And that's my perspective on it, and which tells you a lot right there. But anyway, regardless, they say in the statement, okay, and you can see it clearly, okay, guy waves his arms. And here's what I'll say about that. There's two things on it. One, if you're a player on the field coming down the field, like back towards that football that's laying on the ground, you very clearly on field level are going to see an official put his arms up because he's the one official you can see. You know, if, you're, if your attention is turned coming back down that field, which you couldn't see on all the TV copies, but you're going you had a several players around the football, but you're gonna have several who just naturally, as you practice it, it's just part of what you do. Your your line of sight, there's a football down there, there's a returner, and there's an official behind him. And if he puts his arms up, you see it. And it's very possible that him kind of I guess in hindsight, throwing his arms up there, waving it dead inadvertently, would throw off a covering player and make you stop and hold up. Whether you hear the whistle or not, you see his arms, okay? Still, you accept responsibility if you stop on the play and didn't hear a whistle. They said they didn't blow it. But they've admitted that his arms going up means the play's dead, it's over. Because anybody on the field is going to stop when they see that, frankly. It's just the way it is. So he made the mistake. Well, mistakes happen, especially on the fly. Um in real time, mistakes happen, right, for everybody, and officials are human. What is outside of the real time of a play is after that play is over. What I think is, and this is my personal opinion, it's gutless for that play to go on and then for that official not to call his crew up and say, hey, I put my arms up and waved it dead. Even if it was inadvertent, even if it was for a split second, even if you didn't blow the whistle, to not pull him up and tell him uh, is gutless on his part. It is, I mean, it's what it is. It's you're afraid. And you can't be in that position out there collecting a $5,000 check if you're afraid. That's my opinion. 
And then it's also, you know, officials are a part of a crew, so they are kind of a team. They always talk about their crew. They work together as crews. They're kind of on a team together. And, you know, he really kind of, he hurt his team and, and the reputation of the team because, you know, it's actually this official, you know, they omit his name. They don't want people knowing who he is because he's the one who screwed that play up and all this kind of stuff, which to me, all that's bogus. You know, we don't want to admit the name and of players, 18, 19-year-old players and their families who get reamed and chewed up one side and down the other after they have a bad game all over social media and everywhere else. But we'll do it for some 45-year-old official collecting a $5,000 check and going back to his week job. <clears throat> it just doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, he, it's gutless to them because you hurt your team. Because actually it's his crew chief who's catching all the flack, right? Because we don't even know this guy's name. Yet he, after the play, didn't have the guts to pull him up and say, guys, here's what I did. Here's what we ought to do, and y'all need to know, and so, crew chief, you can make a decision on how to do this thing because I blew it dead. And if he does that, you're not in this situation, and the league doesn't have to issue an apology apology, because he's got the shoulders to carry his own responsibilities. So... It was a gutless move on his part, and I don't respect it. Uh, I I have no I respect anybody, including an official. You make a mistake, you do what's right from that point. I can't go back and change your mistake, but you can do what's right going forward. I respect that. I've done it. I make mistakes all the time, and all you can do is do the right thing going forward. You can't change what happened. And in his case, he didn't do the right thing because he he took the gutless spineless way out of it and didn't say a word to anyone. And so I'll never respect that. Um, Now, the other thing is this. It's a scoring play. Now, hear me, everybody, because we all need to understand this. McDade, the coordinator of SEC officials, um, he has said... It is a rule. It's what's supposed to happen. Every scoring play is reviewed. Every scoring play is reviewed. Hear that. All of them. Touchdowns, pick sixes, scoop and scores, punt returns, kick returns. Every scoring play is reviewed. That's what you're told. That's the rule. That's what the schools are told, the coaches, the officials, the ADs, everything. So when we sit here and we go, well, why don't you like throw a challenge flag or or force the – or ask for a review. Well, it's a scoring play. Nobody asks for reviews of scoring plays because they're all reviewed. And you go, well, you know, challenge for a replay. Well, that's part of the review is they're supposed to, between score and onside kick, they're going back and re- are scoring and, excuse me, extra point, you're going supposed to be reviewing this thing, right? Now that's, I'm just telling you, that's the message that comes from any coordinator of officials, all scoring plays are reviewed. So my thing is, even on a fuzzy copy of this play on YouTube, I can see that there are two number fours when I go back and watch it. I don't need to be told that. I can see it myself. The other thing is, I can see clearly a Memphis player come off the sideline onto the field of play, and he's standing about three yards from his returner who runs right by him with the football. Now, maybe those are things that if you don't catch it on the fly, you can't go back and call it. 
But if that's the reason, if that's what you're told on it, that doesn't match up with other things that happen in this game and in other reviews because there are plenty of things they don't catch on the fly, but in the review process they go back and call it because they saw it happen, including like later in the game on the extra I'm on the uh, uh, onside kick. So, so that I question. I guess what I'm saying is I question if they actually reviewed it. We've been told all scoring plays are reviewed, including that one. I believe they did not review that one. So when we talk about officiating crews and the operation not doing what it's supposed to do, there were just several levels. One, not supposed to blow that play dead. It's a live play because they didn't pick up the ball, hand it to the official. There's no reason for that official to wave his arms dead, but he did. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is take the gutless approach and don't own up to it with your crew and avoid this situation to begin with. Number three. Well, let me back up, too, because if you do that, frankly, Memphis isn't going to argue it because they and anybody else could see you blew it dead also because the truth about it is state down the football with a knee on the ground. They just didn't hand it to the official. Memphis is not even going to argue that, frankly, if you go back and correct it. And then number three, there's two number fours on the field. And if you actually did review it like you're supposed to, you catch that. So I think there's a lie somewhere, this whole every scoring play is reviewed. That one was not. And again, it's another example from an SEC officiating perspective of people getting paid to do a job that they didn't do. They just didn't do the job. So... Where does that leave you? That's my thoughts on that particular play. And I know that I actually appreciate it, but I've had a bunch of you have sent me messages and said, hey, have you talked about this yet? Have you <laughs> have you covered this yet? Are we going to wait till the Monday radio show and all? So um, those are some of my thoughts on it. Stuff happens, mistakes happen, but don't weasel out of it. Do what you did. Call it like you're supposed to. Review it like you're supposed to. And uh, and try to get it right. Other than that, you do number one. You admit that you you know, as a co- if you're coaching special teams, your guys have to know that under no circumstances do they leave that ball on the field. Okay, that's on us. That's on our coaching staff. If that message has been relayed to our players, then it's on our players. Under no circumstances you leave that ball on the field. Period. We have to own that. No question about it. And the you have to credit the player for Memphis. It's an incredible heads-up play. It's an all-timer heads-up play that he's out hustling everybody else, knows the rules, knows that ball's live, and picks it up, and his team wins a game because of it effectively. You have to credit him. It's an incredible play. So my hat's off to him. All right, now I want to uh, – I'm going to go forward now on the podcast, and I'm going to cover – uh, really three things, officiating, quarterback play, and then winning and losing just offense football. Okay, so first up, let me give you a few thoughts on officiating. So number one, the SEC releases a statement afterwards that they fouled it up, and I've kind of covered that some of that for you there. There were other things in the game. There were 
you know, other things in the game that maybe could have, should have, would have been called differently, whatever. But this glaring thing where the league is pressured into putting out a public statement, admitting that it wasn't handled right. And and frankly, I mean, you it, it cost State the game. I mean, it did. Okay. But um, anyway, and I've covered that. There's ownership there. Here's my thing. And I go back to this same opinion that I've had in the past when other things happen. You have to, unfortunately, suspend or fire some people when things like that happen. Now, I said suspend or fire, okay? It's not for me to decide which one. That stuff's above my pay grade. But I do know this. In certain situations, whether it's officials or coaches or players or in your job at your office or in my job with my business, there are certain things that people involved, if you pull a certain level of stunt, if you cross a certain line, there there has to be some repercussions from a precedent standpoint and everything, from a learning standpoint and improvement standpoint and everything else. Just like you go to your job, maybe it's part-time, like these officials. I bet you don't get paid $5,000 a pop, but maybe it's part-time like these officials. Maybe it's full-time. When I go to my job, when I get on the radio, there are certain things that if I if I cross a certain line, if I pull a stunt that's egregious enough, you know, people aren't, if you do that, people aren't going to run you right back out there giving you the chance to do it again. Not without something, right? Like going back to a certain level of training or a period of time to, you know, paid leave or whatever you want to call it to figure your priorities out. If I get on the radio and I make an egregious enough mistake or say something that's too out of line, something I shouldn't do, then that's it. You know, or I may be suspended for a while or I may get fired. That's all the world we live in. And so what I'm saying is I hate it. I don't think they're bad people. And I hate to even say this about people who are probably really nice guys, you know, but just from a precedent standpoint, as a league and as a governing body, I mean, you can't have things this egregious where there's an embarrassment for the entire conference where it costs one team or the other, doesn't matter who the team is, costs them a ball game. It's, you know, that ridiculous and not have suspensions over it. And that precedent has been set. This same officiating, well, I don't know if it's not the same crew completely, but a crew with this same head official made an egregious mistake at the end of an Arkansas, and I think it was Florida game back in 2009. They got suspended. They've been through this kind of thing before. You can't mishandle certain things. Um, so that's my thought on that. Unfortunately, that's just the way it ought to be. Okay. Number two. Well, l- let me go back to that point, and I, and I know I'm kind of jumping around with you, but let me go back to that point. Um, how can I say this without sounding like a whiner? It's just a fact that if you are Mississippi State, 
you kind of are to a point that you in football you got to expect this stuff. I'm not talking to the SEC now. <laughs> they don't care what I think anyway. I'm just talking to us, me and you. Um, you know, there's this old saying of, it's, kind of it's, it's meant to be funny, but you walk out the door every morning expected to get kicked in the you-know-whats so that when you get punched in the stomach, it's not that bad. You have a long enough, clear enough, and frequent enough history with this kind of stuff and Southeastern Conference football officiating that I think it's time for us to get to the point that, frankly, we go into a game and we almost you have to be looking for it and ready for it and expecting it to happen with the expectation that it is going to happen. And so to win, you just overcome all those things. It's just part of what you're up against every day. Just like you play against the defense, you're going to have to overcome some stuff that won't go your way. Because let me tell you, it's coming. It's going to happen. At this point, I'm not sure when these kinds of things happen in SEC football officiating, I'm not sure anyone should really be surprised. Okay? Yes, what I'm saying is it isn't the same for other Southeastern Conference schools. And I want to ask a question. It's a hypothetical, but run this up the poll. Ask it to anyone, to any fan, to any leader, to any administrator. Go over to the office in Birmingham and ask them. If that same scenario had happened in a game, but it was Alabama on the sideline and not Mississippi State, how would it have been handled? How would it have been handled on the spot during the game? How would it have been handled in the review process? And how would it be handled on Monday if that were Alabama on that sideline and not Mississippi State? So let me tell you what should happen, what won't happen. Shoulds and won'ts. Uh, the conference should suspend that officiating crew, but they won't. It didn't happen to the right team in order for them to be suspended. The SEC network should interview the head official, but they won't. It didn't happen to the right team. Uh, the SEC network should interview the commissioner about it, but they won't. It didn't happen to the right team state should release a statement and they did uh, I thought it was a good statement understanding all the things that play by John Cohen uh, other SEC personalities whether it be on radio or different shows should address it but they won't the SEC should take some I mean, big measures to begin improving officiating, but they won't. And so finally, I'll say this, and, and this is the same message I had six years ago when some things happened in the game. The Southeastern Conference has always had the best of everything and does currently have the best of everything, the best people, the best leaders, the best teams, the best athletes, the best coaches, the best stadiums, the best fan bases, the biggest fan bases, the best TV package, the best following, the most passionate following, the best recruiting, the best marketing, 
the most money. But they have the worst football officiating every year as a league collectively. And everybody knows it. 13 of the 14 teams and schools know it. Other conferences know it. The coaches who coach in the league know it. And the administrators, both on campuses and in Birmingham, they know it as well. And if they don't, they're willingly blind. And whatever resources are poured into the process and the personnel is a, I mean, it is a drop in the bucket of the budget. There's no amount of resources that they don't have if they want to make this a priority. I put it this way. The SEC can have better, more consistent officiating across all of its football games every Saturday, every year. It can be better. The SEC has the power and the resources to make it better. All they have to do is make it a priority. And let me tell you, it's not. I think the question on the game with the state of Memphis is, you know, how do you how do you dominate a game and still lose it? Um, how? The question of how. Okay, and I don't know that dominate is the right word there, honestly. Okay. I, again, st- statistics are one thing, but you know, 3129, you don't dominate anything that winds up 3129. So dominate's probably not the right word, but how do you have such a decided edge in so many things in a game and lose it? How do you not score more points against that Memphis defense? I mean, going forward, I mean, how do you start to commit fewer penalties? You know, another nine penalties for 64. How do you gift wrap a game and just lay it down on the field for your opponent to pick it up and literally run with it? You know, how, how, how? All those things, how? I'm going to get into some of that with you here on the game, and I want to start by talking about Will Rogers, quarterback. I'm going to start this conversation about Will Rogers with some perspective for you. And no, I'm not about to jump in here and just – uh, read a bunch, you know, read the stats and give you stats and try to tell you to back off from that perspective. But I will tell you to people who are saying that you have one major problem on your team and it's Will Rogers, you have no idea what you're talking about. To someone who looks at this and says, oh, well, we had one reason we lost that game the other day and it was Will Rogers, you have no idea what you're talking about. If those are your opinions, and especially if you're out here blabbing that opinion, I you need to either rethink it and, and listen to some other perspectives, or you need to back away for a little while because it's not accurate. Okay, so let me give you some some accurate thoughts on on Will, and I I think he's doing a pretty good job in a lot of ways. <clears throat> I really do, and I think he's young. I think he's going through his first full year as a starter. And there are lots of things he can do better, but there are lots of things he's doing well. And I think he's a really good player, and I think he's going to be a really good player for you going forward and he's going to win a bunch of games for you. So you look at it the other day, and Will goes 
67 attempts, complete 75%. So he's 50 of 67, 400 plus and three touchdowns. And here's my question. Is that not good enough to win? Now, how do you answer that? Threw it 67 times, goes 75% complete, over 400 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Is that not good enough to win? Okay, so you can go, well, I mean, he did it and they didn't win, so obviously it wasn't good enough, right? Okay, well, I get it on the surface. That's what you might say. But my thing is, from his perspective and his job and what he's being asked to do, I'm wondering, is that not good enough to beat Memphis? Okay, and if it's not, then what is from Will doing his job? What are we saying? In order to beat that Memphis team with that Memphis defense, he goes 75% on 67 attempts. What Then what is? What does it take? Is it 90% on 67 attempts? Is it 500 yards and not 400? Is it we need five t- passing touchdowns and not three? Okay, well, those numbers probably would have won you the game, right? If you went 90%, 500 yards, and five touchdowns, that probably would have won you the game. Well, okay, well, then you're saying a stat line for a quarterback that would be almost perfect is what it takes to win the ball game. So let's look at it from that perspective. If we're sitting here saying that completing 50 throws on 67 attempts for 400-plus and three TDs and no picks is not good enough to beat that Memphis team, then what the heck else is going on then? You see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, yeah, I can turn the tape on, and he can too, and anybody can at times, and say, well, he had this throw. It should have been that throw. It should have been this one, that one. Okay, fine, fine. And if I'm the quarterback, I accept that. But for anyone to insinuate that there was one major problem in that game for State and that it was Will Rogers, then that person needs to become a hockey fan. And let me tell you one more piece of perspective. And if you don't hear anything else on this podcast, I want you to hear this. I know what it's like for a team to lose a game primarily because of one player, the quarterback. Because I did it, (laughs) okay? I've been the guy who, not just in terms of one fan's opinion, no, who quite literally, I've been the guy who was the reason his team lost. I did it in a Mississippi State uniform as our quarterback, and I was the reason we lost. And I know what it feels like, but more importantly, I know what it looks like. And y'all, this ain't it. Will's not doing what I did, you know, and that's just a fact. He's not out here losing games. I did it. I know what it looks like. This ain't it. He's giving his chance to team uh, team a chance to win. So can he play better? No question. Are there plays to be made? No doubt about it. So basically what he did the other day was good enough to win paired with his defense, it's just you couldn't also hand him 17 points, okay? The other thing that he couldn't afford to do, and this offense, since it is so dependent on him, is you can't go out there and have a bad second half, 
All right, so we'll get into that. You have to beat a team like Memphis when you aren't perfect. You still got to beat them. So the second half performance needed to be consistent with the first half, and it wasn't. If you look at third downs uh, and conversions, you look at just like number of punts, which is tied to third down conversions, right? And scoring, which is tied to all that. Well, they were much better in the first half than they were in the second half. And this was a lot like the first game in that you had an entire quarter where the offense went away. And that's a consistency part of this. There's There has been sort of a schizophrenic nature of this offense. It was in week one when you looked at the first and fourth quarters versus the second and third. Last week, not so much. But again, you know, some stretches. And this week, you're up 17-7. Their only points on the board were you gave them a fumble in the end zone, basically. Um, you, you dominated the first half. Defense hasn't even allowed them to do anything. And you come out and in the third quarter, get outplayed in the third quarter and punt a bunch of times in the second half. Well, there it is. There's that schizophrenic nature popping back up on the offense. So it is a consistency thing. And a lot of people roll their eyes at Mike Leach when he keeps saying that. But that's what it is. All right. In the first half, listen to this. In the first half, Will Rogers never threw consecutive incompletions. You're going, I'm turning this off. Matt's talking about completions and incompletions. I want to talk about big plays and explosive plays down the field and forcing it down the field. Well, hang on. I'll get to it. In the first half, Will never threw consecutive incompletions. He had long streaks in the first half of completions. He went, he had five straight completions twice, two different five streaks of five. He had a seven completion streak at one point in the first half. He was really good. They were really good. But in the second half, it was much different. He had, in the second half, he had four different instances of back-to-back incompletions. Like I told you, he never did it once in the first half. But in the second half, there are these stretches of the balls going incomplete. Um, He had no long streaks of completions in the second half, like getting on a run, getting in a rhythm. Um, I would call that maybe five or more completions in a row. He never had those. Except... For this, he finished the game on a 7-for-7 streak that included two touchdowns in the get-back-in-it time, right? And a lot of people have pointed to that and go, well, if you can do that at the end of the game, why can't you do it the rest of the time? Well, look, I've been there too. (laughs) You go back to those teams in the 90s, we'd – we had those comeback teams, and we'd get in the two minutes real at the end of the game, go up and down the field, and they go, well, if you can do it in the last two minutes, why didn't – Why couldn't Wayne get you up and down the field in the rest of the ball game? You know, well, football is situational. I mean, it's a strange world where, you know, like more yards and completions passing the ball than anybody else in the SEC. All right, think about that. Will's got more yards and more completions than anybody in the SEC. More attempts. I get it. I understand. Better completion percentage. Even though he's at the top, Yards completion, so his misses are still so magnified. If he misses a throw down the field, if he misses 
you know, what we say misses a read where there's somebody open, he doesn't get it to him or something. All right. Here's here's the thing. I'm trying my best to kind of to to line this up for us. If Will <clears throat> throws the ball 67 times, completes 50 at 75 percent, 400 plus, three touchdowns, no picks. Yet the misses in there, whether it's missing a throw or missing a read, are so magnified still. Why? Well, the answer is because right now it's all on him. That's why the misses are so magnified. It's right now watching a team who's frankly got a better roster than than Memphis. He's got better players than Memphis. They're better on the line of scrimmage than Memphis. He's watching them lose to Memphis because with nine penalties and 17 points given them in weird, non-typical play style, that 50 completions and 400 yards and three touchdowns and no picks isn't good enough to overcome the mistakes and the weird stuff and the poor stretch in the second half. And then the highlight is on Will because it's all on him. The entire offense going through him. You want some perspective on it? There it is. But I'll go back to this. Anybody that wants to make this out, you see a game like that and you come back and all you can do is talk about quarterback? I've been the quarterback that was the reason we lost. In reality, not just somebody's idea. It was the truth. I know what it feels like, but more important, I know what it looks like. And trust me, this ain't it. And lastly, you know, you look at uh, how you're scoring in a game. You have four different ways, right? Throwing it, running it, special teams, defense. Well, so if, if you're going to have a game where you only throw three touchdown passes in this offense and you get one rushing touchdown, right, which is what you had. You had four offensive touchdowns the other day. You realize Memphis only had two offensive touchdowns. State had four. So you have four offensive touchdowns. Well, what else you got to have? Right now, you're going to be, what, near the bottom of the SEC in field goal attempts? So you have four second-half punts. Well, some of those possessions in the second half when you punt have got to be field goals. All right, so there's one right there. There's one aspect of the game in this offense, if you're going to be an air raid offense, that – Going forward, you can't have a stretch of futility for an entire quarter like you did against La Tech or like you did against Memphis in the second half and in the third quarter where you, you got four punts mixed in there. You punted, what, one time in the first half or at all? I don't know. I'll look it up. But you got to be consistent enough on offense where you don't have four punts in the second half. A couple of those are drives down to the 35, and at least you get a long field goal out of it. Not no reasons, <clears throat> not there right now. You got one rushing touchdown. Well, if you don't, if you don't throw four or five, you got to have more than one rushing touchdown. You want to beat people. So let's go back to that fourth and goal. You know, after the interception in the second half, you're set up. You're about to go. If you punch it in, you're up twenty-four to three, and the ball game's over. You know it. I know it, and they know it. And it's fourth and goal. 
You elect not to take the points on the chip shot field goal. You don't get a rushing touchdown. You throw an incomplete, and you got nothing out of it. So there's more points left on the field right there. Okay, so you gave them seven. You gave them another seven on special teams. That's 14. They get three points on a field goal after two onside kick attempts backs you up. That's 17 points. And a minimum of three more right there if you took the field goal. Okay, so now we're up to 20 points. You could add even more points to it because there were two two-point conversion attempts in the game that went no good. That's a minimum of two more points right there just if you kicked extra points. Now we're up to 22 points. So basic math and understanding mistakes tells you how State could be so lopsided in every major category in the ball game, except the one that matters, and that's the scoreboard. You just you gave them the ball game. They took it and ran with it to their credit. And you have to credit them also. They focused on Tulu and kept him from affecting the game and the kickoff stuff. So you never did get you never were able to balance out their special teams points advantage uh, in the ball game. Now look, I haven't covered everything from the game. And it'd be no way to. You'd need a five-hour podcast to do that. Nobody's listening to a five-hour podcast. Nobody may be listening already by now. Uh, I don't ever expect everybody to like what I say and um, whatever perspective I have. But I don't consume content. I don't listen to other podcasts. I don't watch shows anymore. I just look at it and tell you what I think. It's the only way to not be affected by other people's opinions is just to not listen to them and For what it's worth, that's kind of the point I've gotten to in my career. Uh, I just, it's become laborious to cut through all the BS that's out there to try to find something meaningful, to be honest with you. So I just ignore all of it. Um, I do, I, I will go back to these numbers again, and I'll leave you with these numbers. In the first half, State's offense was seven of 10 on third downs. In the second half, they were two of seven. Okay, so the schizophrenic nature of your offense is the biggest thing that you have to work on. And Mike Leach, I'm telling y'all, I listen to the postgame stuff. You, some of you don't like it. He comes in there and nails it every time. <laughs> He's just been doing it long enough. He doesn't need to watch the film to kind of know what the deal is. It's like it, it is consistency. In this game, State's offense, they were 70% on third down in the first half. Memphis couldn't get them off the field. And in the second half, State went 29% on third down. I mean, there you go. In the first half, State punted one time. In the second half, they punted four. There you go. Talk about the consistency and all that kind of stuff. Here it is. And it's just got to be a consistent effort. When you do punt, you got to down the football and pick it up and hand it to the official. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.